As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Have a good week. Talk to you soon. And hear from me next Saturday. Take care, folks. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, 106.5 FM, and now 102.3 FM. Your NBC Sports Radio update starts now. Big finish in the Big Ten. I'm Jeff Biggs with number 10, Ohio State, trying to avoid a big upset at Maryland. Right now they are in overtime. The Buckeyes had the first possession, and they just scored a touchdown. Even It was a running touchdown, even though uh, – the player's knee hit the ground before he went into the end zone. They still gave it to him anyway. So the Buckeyes are on top 52-45. to 45. The Terps will have to score a touchdown now to tie it or they will lose. Meanwhile, Notre Dame has just scored again at Yankee Stadium. And the Irish now lead Syracuse 20 to nothing with just under five minutes left to go in the first half. And it was a tale of two halves in Tuscaloosa where... Top-ranked Alabama was actually tied. Yeah, the Tide were tied with the Citadel at halftime, 10-10. Thankfully, Nick Saban woke them up at halftime, and the Tide went on to roll to an easy win, 50-17. Their best shot. These guys got everything to gain and nothing to lose. There's some lessons to be learned today. I think when you're not mentally ready to, to play a game, I don't really care who you're playing, and that may be hard for some people to understand the concept of competition. And we didn't play very well as a team in the first half, which I take a lot of responsibility for not uh, getting our team ready. Uh, you know every team that comes here and plays us uh, is going to give us their best shot. These guys got everything to gain and nothing to lose. Uh, and we got nothing but downside in the game. Uh, but I think we did respond really well in the second half. Well, speaking of responding, Maryland on the first play for their possession overtime, they just scored a touchdown and the point after try. So it looks like they're going to a second OT at College Park, Maryland and Ohio State. They're just about to get it away. Jim Harbaugh and number four, Michigan, hosting Indiana. And tonight, number two, Clemson will take on Duke. I'm Jeff Biggs. This is NBC. Sports Radio. KCAA Radio is proud to announce that the Tri-City Center in Redlands is our new home. We're fortunate to be located among some of the best businesses in the region. Among our neighbors are Ray Chiropractic, Brace Connection Orthodontist, 
Pain Solutions Medical Massage, Rent-A-Center, MVP Staffing Agency, Jenny Craig, Salon Centric, and many more. The Tri-City Shopping Center is located just off the I-10, between Alabama and the Tennessee exits in Redlands. The Tri-City Center is the mall with the heart. It's time to say see you later alligator to embarrassing and troublesome issues with your skin, nails, and hair with all-natural Cayman alligator oil. Cayman oil is locally made right in Louisiana, where people have been using alligator oil for centuries to treat all kinds of ailments. A drop a day of Cayman oil can help you say see you later alligator to athlete's foot, nail fungus, acne, eczema, rashes, dry skin, cuts, infections, MRSA, scars, burns, sunburns, and even ingrown hair and dandruff. If you or someone you know is tired of suffering with any of these skin, nail, and hair troubles, you need to visit mycayman.com to learn more about 100% natural, non-toxic, hypoallergenic cayman oil and get a bottle today. Say, see you later, alligator, with cayman alligator oil at mycayman.com. That's my. C-A-I-M-O-N dot com. MyCayman dot com. How many commercials do you hear every day claiming to be the best weight loss program ever? The only problem, you spend a lot of money, you lose the weight, you gain it back. Plus, when all it takes is adding protein to your diet, protein gives you what you need and reduces hunger. NutriPro is pure protein. It's not the newest fad. It's not the latest weight loss program, but it helps to stop those daily cravings safely. There's no magic. It's simply a two-ounce shot of protein taken twice a day, 20 grams of pure, clean protein in every shot with absolutely no carbs, no fat, and no sugar. Feel full faster and keep feeling full longer. It never requires refrigeration, mixing, or dilution. It is simply easy access to protein anytime, anywhere. But it's not available in stores. It's available directly from the manufacturer. Go to MyProteinNow.com and try a 20-count trial pack today. Go to MyProteinNow.com for a special introductory offer, including shipping. Do it right now. MyProteinNow.com. Hi, folks. If you're still paying for electricity every month, it means you haven't signed up for the Inland Empire's number one money savings program offered by Horizon Solar Power. Just call to qualify your home and Horizon will give you $100, plus pay your electric bill until 2020. It's that simple. Call, qualify, get $100, and no electric bill payments until 2020. So keep your money in your pocket and become energy independent today. Call 844-711-6996. That's 844-711-6996. Or click on one of our Stay Cool ads at kcaaradio.com. Tired of paying outrageous prices for Viagra? Well, we have great news for you. Now you can finally get Viagra at huge discounts. Healthy Man allows you to save up to $500 on Viagra. Why pay U.S. pharmacy prices of $15 per pill or more when you can get Viagra for less than $3 a pill? Call today and get 40 Viagra pills for only $99. This can cost as much as $600 at your local pharmacy. You can't afford not to call us. If you want Viagra at the lowest prices, never pay $15 of pill pharmacy prices again. Get Viagra for less than $3 a pill. Call 800-204-0145 today and save up to $500 and get 40 pills for just $99. Healthy Man is fast, easy, and affordable. Operators are waiting at 800-204-0145 to take your call now. Call 800-204-0145. That's 800-201-0145. Again, 800-204-0145. You've heard AM, you've heard FM. Now, tune in to DM Radio, the world's longest-running show about data. 
Each week, host Eric Cavanaugh interviews the brightest minds in the world of information management. Want to be on a show? Send an email to info at dmradio.biz. Now, here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome back once again to DM Radio. Yes, indeed, my name is Eric Cavanaugh. I will be your humble, if excitable host for the show that is designed, after all, to peel away the marketing veneer, get down to brass tacks, and figure out what is going on in the field of information management. And the, you know, the short answer is what, or the shorter question, I should say, to yield a shorter answer is what isn't going on in the world of information management. We are living in wild, exciting times these days. The cloud is consuming just about everything these days. It's the new center of gravity. But whether you're on-premises or in the cloud, there's one thing for sure. In the insights economy, as some people are calling it, the key the key advantage, the, uh, the, the successful folks are those who use analytics. So I'm very pleased to have a couple great guests lined up for you today. We'll be hearing from Bill Franks of IIA, that's the International Institute of Analytics. Very cool stuff there. And Badrish Prakash from Tiger Analytics. And the topic specifically is prediction and prescription, what to do next. I actually had an interesting conversation this morning with a guy from an AI firm who was talking all about deep learning, and he said that according to his definition, if you're actually doing predictive analytics, you really need to have some kind of a deep learning module in play. Uh, I think a lot of people would not agree with that, but he made a really good point that uh, deep learning is some pretty powerful technology, and it's not really being very well harnessed yet. It's still kind of in the research phase. But that refers to um, some of these neural networks that are just doing amazing things. So if you hear about uh, someone trying to crack the genome, for example, or figure out some heavy-duty information about tectonic plate shifting and what effect that would have, that may involve some sort of a deep learning module. But most people in the analytics space believe you don't need all of that to do prediction. Uh, and, of course, it's never going to be perfect, uh, but predictive analytics now is driving a ton of business. What did I, I saw a stat yesterday that said something like 30% of Amazon's revenue can be attributed to its recommendation engine. Now, you know how you slice that is, uh, is an interesting question, but the point is that Amazon recommends things that you buy, and according to the source that I read, which is a reliable source just yesterday, something like 30% of their revenue comes from those suggestions. Talk about the power of suggestions. That's some pretty cool stuff. Then there's prescriptive analytics. So instead of predicting what's going to happen, prescribing specific actions that should be taken, that is the realm of prescriptive analytics. But to help us understand what all that means, we have our guests. So let me bring in our first one. Uh, he's been on the show before under different auspices, formerly of Teradata, now with IIA. Bill Franks, welcome to DM Radio once again. Tell us a bit about what you're doing over there at IIA, and, and tell us about the difference between prediction and prescription. Yeah, so uh, the International Institute for Analytics is a research and advisory firm that focuses exclusively on, no surprise here, the world of analytics. So uh, when you talk about prescriptive analytics, uh, we talk about predictive analytics, AI, all of that is uh, what we cover. We were uh, founded, uh, one of the two co-founders was Tom Davenport, who wrote possibly the most famous analytics book called Competing on Analytics uh, several years back, and uh, he uh, founded our organization to help large companies around the globe 
do a better job of implementing analytics and improving their business, much like the kind of example you just uh, listed that Amazon has done. Um, yeah. No, I think that the, the, the prescriptive versus uh, predictive, it's actually, in my mind, they're very, very interrelated. Prescriptive takes things a little bit further. So I might, and, and I did a lot of this early in my career, I might have been building a model to predict which customers are most likely to buy a certain product. At that point, we've made a prediction. We've said who's going to buy and who's not, but there would typically then be a person involved, uh, you know, way back, maybe the VP of marketing or VP of direct marketing, who would then make the decision, which of these people are we going to reach out to via email or direct, you know, back then it was a lot of direct mail even. When you get to prescriptive, it really is in many cases automating that process. It's where um, you know, like in Amazon's case, they come up with a recommendation. There's nobody approving that recommendation. There's nobody agreeing or disagreeing with the prediction that was made that I might like this product next. They've tested the algorithms, and that algorithm will prescribe that I actually get that offer, and it'll simply happen. And then on the back end, you're tracking the success or failure of those automated offers. And so uh, that, that whole world, which could also be called uh, operationalizing analytics, uh, is, is, is a common term or industrializing, that was actually the entire focus of one of my books called The Analytics Revolution, where I dove into how companies were starting to push these algorithms deeper into their their technical systems, but more importantly, into their business processes, so that a lot of this stuff just happened. Yep. No, that's the key, right, is closing the loop and getting the value from it. And, you know, there are some interesting developments in the industry, and you and I have been in this analytics space for a long time. But I guess uh, one thing that you've talked about uh, is the need to really weave that into your business plan these days. If you're going to have a business plan, and most successful companies do, you really want analytics to be a significant component of that plan, right? Yeah, and what spurred this is in talking to a variety of clients, what I what I uh, realized was uh, virtually any serious business plan ends up on the back end having analytics be utilized to help track and measure the performance of whatever plan was put in place. But most business plans don't actually contain an analytics plan as a piece of it up front. So we might agree we're going to go open another manufacturing plant to produce this new beverage that we think is going to yield us uh, you know, a, a, a certain amount of sales. And once that business plan is approved, then there would be the scramble, okay, let's go to the analytics team now. We're going to have to figure out what analytics we'll use to, uh, to track all of this. And I think that uh, uh, what needs to start to happen is just like a profit and loss statement and some of the financials have to be part of a business plan. You know, if you go to a business school in a class, you're not going to get away with submitting a business plan without financials. Or if you went into a company today and you didn't have that, you'll, you know, be laughed out of the room. I think we have to start to say, you know what, analytics is clearly going to be involved on the back end of this business, uh, this business plan. We've got to incorporate that. From the get-go, let's make sure we've agreed on the various metrics we'll track, how will we compute them, what kind of analytics will be done to create those and to monitor that business. And we should have agreement on that up front before we approve that plan uh, because otherwise you can end up you know, with things getting messy. And so that, that's something I don't think has gotten the amount of attention it ought to. Um, but I can tell you that you know, living in this world, it's just so common that the analytics team gets called a little bit too late and then you're scrambling to, to retrofit. Right. No, that's a very good point. And, you know, there's another interesting trend that you mentioned to me, which there's some interesting uh, evidence just right now happening in the world today 
about data actually being more of a di differentiating factor than analytics, so unique data as opposed to unique analytics, you know, there is this whole movement, I'm, I'm referring to it often as real-world data or real-world data at scale, but there's also the term alternative data, and look what just was announced by SAP purchasing Qualtrics, I think, for $8 billion, $8 billion, a survey company, an online survey company. And one of the analyses I've read is that all that data, they think, can be married to their operational data because, of course, SAP runs many of the biggest companies in the world, the actual core. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Business technology run by their ERP. So they, apparently there's a theory they can marry a lot of this survey data to their operational data to come up with some really interesting insights. But that's a mighty big bet, but it sure seems to map very tightly to what you're talking about. What do you think? Yeah, so, so the, the, the premise of this, and, uh, you know, obviously being a lifelong analytics person, it pains me to even have to have to suggest <laughs> this. But believe me, analytics will be in this in the end. I'll, I'll get to that. But here, here's what happened. When, when, when we had our spring event out in Silicon Valley last spring, we had a couple of venture capitalists speak to our client base about what are they investing in in this space today, and why, and also what are they not investing in. And all of them in their own way made this same basic point, and it stems from this. If I go back even 10, 15 years ago, all of the big companies had substantially the exact same data. So if you were a retailer, you had your point-of-sale data, you know, you had all of your inventory data. If you were a, a, a phone company, you had your call detail records, and so there was standardized data that most everybody had, and the, and the arms race was around building better analytics on top of that same data. And it was very difficult to build analytics at that time in terms of the cost. The tool sets uh, required, you know, very highly specialized people, you know, custom coding stuff. And so the arms race was around the analytics. Well, what's happened today is uh, something IA uh, talked about at the beginning of last year is that we're kind of in the post-algorithmic era. And what we mean by that is the algorithms, which used to be very difficult to access and make use of and expensive, are now effectively ubiquitous. I mean, you can go out on the cloud, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, and rent virtually any algorithm from deep learning on down to a basic regression. Uh, for It's so cheap, it, it's hardly even a, a, a blip. And so the VC's point was it's getting harder and harder to justify a huge valuation on a company if they're only applying analytics to a well-known data set, because that, while it would have a cost to replicate, isn't as difficult as to replicate some of the new data sets. So to give you an example here, in the self-driving vehicle space, the, the, the thing that everybody needs is 
the training data. So you've got a video of a car driving down the street. You've got to tag every crosswalk, every squirrel, every person. That's right. And that's, right. you know, expensive and tedious. And so there, there's companies that are sprung up to do nothing more than to tag that data and then sell it to the auto manufacturers. So there's no value to each auto manufacturer building their own. So think about it. Once I have a contract with all the big auto manufacturers to ha- use my training data, for someone else to want to nuzzle in on that business, They've got to put in millions of dollars to build their own training data. Then they got to come and knock me out as the incumbent. It's a very big, uh, very big expense. So the point of the VCs was they're looking at data as much as analytics, but then the holy grail would be those who can take some novel data and then produce the analytics on top. And that might be, for example, what SAP is looking to do. They'll have some unique data. They'll do even more unique analytics. And now you've magnified both. Yeah, that, that's just amazing stuff. I mean, just talk about the power of information, the power of data. An $8 billion cash acquisition of an online survey company is pretty impressive stuff. And, you know, the, in this alternative thread, I'm seeing more and more companies offering the kind of data that you just outlined, where they see a niche in the marketplace, they know there is a need, a craving for this data, so they go out and gather it from you know, either just generate it themselves or find some other way to get it. And that's happening all over the place. One of the other cool companies I've come across recently, Gravy Analytics, we'll have them on a show sometime next year, I think. They have all kinds of interesting market data on retail trends, so what folks are buying. So imagine if you could just purchase some data. If you're a retailer in Fairfax, Virginia, for example, if you can get some trustworthy data on shopping trends, which colors are selling this year, which kinds of products are selling this year, if you can get that information, patch it into your procurement, you can stay ahead of the game, and you didn't even have to do it yourself, right? Yeah, absolutely. So that's what's funny is to see a startup where their primary product is literally just we're going to generate and sell you this data. And, of course, selling data has been a business model companies have done for, for decades. Um, but but it was, uh, you know, it's, it's only been more recently that, that – all these little companies are springing up, at your point, very niche types of data for very niche purposes, but people will pay for it, and they need it, in fact. Yeah, no, it's, it's good stuff. And, you know, we've always, um, at least in my career, extolled the virtues of being data-driven, but I think it's even better to talk about being analytics-driven because the data outside of context has no value. Data within a very specific context has tremendous value, especially if it's very timely. Right, that's one of the other issues that's, that's coming along. But there is a sort of tangential issue we should tackle before our next segment. Um, it'll come up in just a couple of minutes. We'll bring Badrish Prakash from Tiger Analytics in for our second segment here. But there's this issue of ethics, and you know, I think it's going to be very interesting to see what pans out. We've talked many times about GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation of the EU, and the right to be forgotten. And I've pseudo-coined a, a concept I call the right to be respected, which basically refers to preference management, whether or not I want to be called or emailed or pinged on Twitter or whatever my preferential, um, my preference is for how I'm contacted and what I'm sold. Uh, that's coming down the pike, too. But then just the ethics of using personal data. How do you know which line to cross, which line not to cross? What are your thoughts on giving guidance to companies about ethical issues for analytics? Yeah, this is becoming, I actually believe this is one of the top three trends I've seen this past year in the analytics community. And it's been, it's been brewing for a while, 
but now the artificial intelligence uh, uh, explosion has really forced the issue. And so, you know, there's ethics across uh, the issues you mentioned, which really tie somewhat to privacy and control of your data. But then there's other things in terms of, you know, what is an appropriate way to use an algorithm, right? What What is it appropriate to predict about me or to use analytics to, uh, you know, target or, or not target me? So as, as organizations start uh, using healthcare data to look for, uh, patterns that lead to illness or good health. You know, there's there's very positive uses of of at a high level, not at the individual level, saying, hey, this this group of people who have these traits are at risk. Let's go reach out to that type of person and try and avoid it. But there's a fine line between that and saying, oh, now I know that person has that problem. I either I don't want to insure them or I don't want to employ them or or or, or some other things. So I think what we're seeing is tons of ethical issues getting raised. Uh, even with things like uh, Google recently had their duplex AI chatbot successfully make reservations at restaurants, um, and the, the people hearing did, didn't know it wasn't a person. Like ethically, do you have to alert? Hey, this is uh, you know this is Google's AI bot duplex calling on behalf of Bill Franks, right? What what is right. what is what are the ethics there? Then you get into things like in China, if you haven't read about their social credit score, you know that is quite literally. Big Brother slash, if you, uh, there's a show called Black Mirror on Netflix that had an episode that I don't know if they were that looking into the future or they modeled it directly off it, but it's where analytics are being used to, you know, even look at things you said on social media. The government sees a, a quote that they don't like, your score gets dinged, and eventually, if your score goes low enough, they don't let you fly on a plane, they don't let your kids get into a good school, you might not even be allowed to get on a train. And so there's a lot of ethics about how will we as a society, agree to use analytics and what's fair and what's not. And those are not easy questions, and they're not going to be resolved in the near term completely either. But uh, we've been recommending that all analytics organizations need to take the direct ownership of this and the leadership on it themselves. And the simple first step that I'll prescribe is just like universities have review panels for research that touches people or animals where people not involved in the study have to look at it and agree it's ethical, we ought to start having a review process for some for new analytics that touch uh, people's data and have a review yeah. board that agrees. This is, in fact, within bounds of what we're comfortable with today and approves it, and that's a good check and balance. Yeah, and uh, I should point out something that our listeners really should know, and in the industry we know this, but outside the industry they may not. No matter how good your predictive algorithms are, they're never perfect. You're never, I've never seen an algorithm that is perfect. Then you can get uh, very high percentages of accuracy, but even with some of the most well-trained algorithms of machine learning, still there are mistakes. And so we have to keep that in mind. I mean, I, and there are, some, there are a lot of different things that are happening uh, in some of these cloud giants that are clearly designed to, uh, I guess, optimize their traction with you and some of these are, are driven by analytics, but some of them are driven just by um, attempted mergers of accounts and so forth. Like I, I used to joke that uh, a few years ago, uh, YouTube kept telling me that I'm my wife. What I mean is I would log, she would log in and I would log out, and then it would automatically log me back in as her. And it made me it basically combined our accounts. I'm like, no, I kept logging out. They would automatically log me back in, which, you know, talk about ethical concerns. That's a bit strange, too. 
But there's a lot of stuff happening, and we, you know, we need, frankly, folks like yourself and like your institute to focus on this stuff, right? We've got about four. Yeah. So great. Go and, and let me make one one quick comment about the, not disagreeing with what you said, but putting a little little uh, additional context. When you say the algorithms aren't perfect and they make mistakes, in a way, the algorithms in the, themselves don't make a mistake. They just come up with a probability. No algorithm right. will ever say 100% that's my face or 100% I will buy. They'll come back with some probability. People make the decision at some percentage I'm willing to say it's high enough that I'll make that offer or not make that offer. Um, but the algorithm itself simply put a probability. And when it says it's 99% sure that I'll buy, it's admitting that it's 1% sure it's wrong right off the bat. Yep. So. You know, when it's wrong, that's you can't it. really blame the algorithm it, it, as long as it's within those probabilities. And that's where people that's make it. the mistake that these things know. They don't know. They give you its best guess. I, and people that I have an admission that may outrage some of you, but a blind squirrel finding a nut every once in a while won't see me ever embracing this fellow. No. That next on Dan's Life. Think you've got a good radio show idea? Gab Radio Network can help you with your podcast or radio show. Find out more by emailing sales at gabradionetwork.com. That's sales at gabradionetwork.com. One of the best speeches I've ever heard was recorded somewhere back in the early 2000s in New Orleans. It used to run on public access there from time to time. It was Nation of Islam leader Louis Farrakhan, equally chiding and encouraging influencers of the hip-hop world first demanding that they do something about the misogyny and hate and violence, especially toward women, and then eloquently building them back up, encouraging them to be arbiters of peace and understanding in all communities. His mastery of all religious faiths was impressive, as was his gentle manner, and his speaking was electric. But this guy's clearly an artist of the con, and he has, so many times, proven his hatred of Jews, whites, and even this country, the one that has allowed him to become rich beyond his wildest dreams. Recently, Farrakhan led the Death to America chant while in Tehran, that's in Iran, which means, from what I've seen, the guy tells people in his crowds what they want to hear, and anyone who would call another ethnic group termites, as he did regarding Jews recently, or uses honey when speaking with earnestly curious whites, as he can do smoothly on television, this type of person is a fraud. A principled man speaks his heart and soul no matter who is listening. A man of God, using himself as a conduit to let the Almighty speak through him. A charlatan turns chameleon, depending on who is paying the speaker's fee. The fact that Twitter continues to allow this hateful shapeshift for a platform, blue check and all, yet kicks out people who make reasonable inquiries into our political discourse, is demented. This is Dan's Life. Welcome back to DM Radio. Here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. All right, folks, back here on DM Radio. Talking all about analytics and ethics. I love to have ethical conversations as well. We just heard from Bill Franks from the International Institute for Analytics. Very cool operation there, and they're trying to educate their clients and the market in general about the importance of ethics in analytics. I think it's a wonderful thing to do because there are some lines that could be crossed these days, and, uh, you know, we all want to succeed, but at what cost? So we do have to keep all that in mind. But next up, we've got Badrish Prakash from Tiger Analytics dialed in. Badrish, welcome to DM Radio. Tell us a bit about yourself and your company and what you guys are doing in the analytics space. 
Oh, thank you, and and thanks for having us. Uh, so, well, uh, brief about Tiger Analytics is that I think in the previous segment you really talked about uh, the pervasiveness of the database-driven uh, decisioning. So we are a boutique analytics company, um, uh, and like uh, most of the analytics company, uh, we started out as a very small firm, but uh, because of the explosion of, that we are seeing around the uh, solving some real business problems, our company also, also grew. Uh, our founder uh, is Mahesh Kumar. Uh, he was a professor at MIT and UMD, and uh, Initially, the the way it started around seven years ago was most of the analytics problem was just research problems. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And then we slowly realized that, no, wait a, wait a minute. These problems are not just as a topic of the R&D effort, but these are certain real business problems to be solved. So uh, I think that's where the whole genesis of Tiger Analytics uh, uh, came in. We are headquartered in Silicon Valley. We have an East Coast office in New Jersey, and we have got presence in Singapore and India, too, around 300 ah. people. Uh, so, wow. yeah. And, uh, well, uh, as for me, uh, uh, I, I've also changed multiple hats uh, without really changing my job profile. So earlier... When I came in, I called myself as a statistician, then a business modeler, then a predictive modeler, then a risk manager, <laughs> natural consultant, if you will. Uh, the, the term data scientist is a bit more understood these days. But essentially, uh, what you're really trying to do is to uh, go ahead and then take certain business problems uh, and uh, try to solve them using data and as well as applying certain appropriate analytical techniques in order to drive business value, and I will really emphasize on the last three words, driving measurable business value. Um, and uh, that's where we really kind of focus on um, and, and, our, and our USP is. Hmm. No, that's good stuff. So tell us some of, the, some of the challenges that you're solving for your clients using analytics and ideally predictive or prescriptive analytics. Oh, that's a, uh, that's a great question. Uh, 
Um, I just try to kind of uh, focus on just a, just a few of them just to give you a certain representation. Uh, so, sure. well, I lead the financial services practice, uh, but then again, uh, our company happens to solve uh, a plethora of problems uh, across uh, different business uh, verticals. Uh, let's say the banking, the insurance, um, the retail, transportation, um, the uh, technology companies. So a few cool problems uh, that we're really seeing is, uh, um, again, application of certain uh, data uh, in order to really target our online customers for, for, for one of the large financial institutions. Um, the typical question that really came from the business was, I don't know who to target, what, and when. Uh, hmm. Very simplistic question, and but a very profound meaning. So essentially, the 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 the, the clients they are just looking for a certain recommendation engine, so that when a customer logs in into that uh, into the site, um, the the website or the app or the or the decision system is smart enough to identify who he or she is, and then what the intent of the person is to is to log in and then uh, and then uh, offer certain uh, certain other uh, products. Now uh, you may actually say that well, Amazon has been kind of doing it from a, their recommendation engine, but uh, from a financial services perspective, there are a lot of uh, uh, compliance and regulatory uh, items that we have to navigate with. And that really makes this problem a bit more challenging uh, as well as uh, worthwhile to kind of work with. Uh, sure. Another example that I can really give it to you would be, uh, um, uh, let's say, and I know that there has been certain hurricane seasons uh, in the past few months, and as they happen, the number of claims to an insurance company's grow, which would actually mean that most of the claim adjudicators, they have to go and do certain site surveys. Uh, one of the site surveys would be, yeah, if there has been a, a, a flooding in the basement or um, or your roof is damaged, uh, typically uh, the claim adjudicators, they will uh, click all of the pictures, sometimes using drones, sometimes using their phones, uh, iPads. There's a lot of data that is already there inside. And, uh, and, to, and to analyze that data, uh, and I'll take a digression that when, it's, when, when we say data, Data would actually not come in just in the form of tables. Even image is a data. Video, video is a data. Sound bite is a is a, is a data. So uh, we are doing certain very advanced image recognition to understand uh, uh, or, to, or to help those claim adjudicators go ahead and um, and uh, um, and find out the the pockets where the flood damage is done. Uh, so uh, again, those are uh, some of the some of the examples. Uh, if I can tell you some more, uh, um, let's yeah. say you are, a sm you are a small business company and then you are uh, filling out some of the forms. Of, and uh, in, a, in a typical, if you are asking for a service, let's say you're taking a business insurance. Um, and for a small business company, the toughest part of filling out any insurance form is to answer those 50 or 60 or even 100 questions. Hmm. Now, the reality is, is that, um, that all of the, uh, even you or Bill or all of our listeners, if they really want to know about Tiger Analytics, guess where the information is? It's already in the public domain. 
So, uh, so it would not be doing the process or the customer's justice to get that information filling in that form again and again and again when the information is already out there. Sure. So what we're really trying to do uh, is to solve that problem so that uh, once you, the, in theory, all you, I really need to do is to type my business name and maybe the zip code, and the company should really go ahead and in real time fetch all of mm. that information from the public domain and uh, and then offer all of the services to you. Hmm. Yeah, that's. I mean, you're getting into some really cool space right there, and I, I, you are seeing more and more of that. I think it's just a question of which entities have the uh, you know the gumption to go down that road and want to finance that operation. But just as an example, you know, in terms of filling out your forms, there are some companies that are tying directly into some master databases that like DNB for example, or Experian or some of these other guys and determining it from there. But you raise another really interesting point, which kind of gets us back to this whole concept of, of uh, alternative data or third-party data, which is to say that you, know, you could, if you are an insurance company, go grab that information about this particular organization and map it against what they put in their form. And the more red flags that come out, the more discrepancies you find, the less trustworthy that person's going to be, the higher your insurance rate would go, right? Uh, yes, uh, of course, subject to all of the uh, legal and compliance requirements about what you can and cannot do with the publicly available data. But yes, sure. uh, 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 those are definitely some of the some of the use cases that we are that we're solving. Um, and uh, again, the the uh, once you really get into uh, thinking from uh, from the from the business perspective. And not necessarily from an analytical perspective, then uh, things start falling in place. Because uh, I think we are all humble enough to understand that data and analytics is just a means to a to a larger end. So, right. uh, like for like for example, uh, in the rising interest rate environment, we are definitely seeing that uh, most of the retail banks uh, there is an attrition problem. So, for the deposit bank, the biggest issue that they would be facing is one high net worth individual or a household calling in and then say, hey, you know what, please transfer all of the balance from bank A to bank B. Now, how do you utilize all that key indicators and early warning signs that before even um, the, the, the client has made the decision, you can really proactively go ahead and then intervene and save that balance to be uh, to be uh, to be to be to be sent out um, and uh, again uh, that's where we, we really focus on and then uh, really objective would be to to really find out and get to the business value and then uh, start breaking it down into hey is it a data problem is it a is it, an, is it a predictive modeling problem is it a data visualization problem or is it just a tool ingestion or a tool tuning problem? And uh, and uh, you would have noticed that in the in my in the last five or ten minutes that I've been talking about, I've not used these two words. One is machine learning, and other <laughs> is AI or artificial intelligence. Because right. yeah, these days I think so. Uh, now, in reality, all of the use cases that I've talked about actually utilizes those. But guess what? Business they don't care. Uh, of course, they like not not in like they don't care, but uh, they uh, they uh, need not be 
bogged down by the intricacies of what we would call it as a too much technical detail, right? Uh, because at the end of the of the day, uh, if you are demystifying that approach, and uh, I think that's how I would also uh, define my role over the course of years as it has gone, uh, as as it has grown, uh, it's uh, more of these days I act like a translator and demystifying all this advanced predictive analytics or advanced uh, 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 techniques uh, in order to solve the business problem. Which are very, very real, and, by the way. Yeah, no, and you, you bring up a really good point here, and this is actually good. It could be a nice segue into our roundtable discussion with Bill in that AI in particular and machine learning in general um, are presenting some really powerful uh, technology to augment analytics. So if you think about how we have traditionally done analytics is you would gather a bunch of data, you throw some algorithms at it yourself, try to understand buying patterns, for example, or optimal pricing or whatever the case may be, or you know, for fraud detection or for security breaches, for example, anomalies, strange behavior in the system and the network, so forth. And that's all great. What AI does, it seems to me, is you know, especially some of these deep learning modules that we've, that we've kind of referenced, is it can surface for you some interesting things to look at. Because, you know, to the point of a, a colleague of mine, Wayne Eckerson from Eckerson Group, he said on a webcast just yesterday about AI that one of the, um, the challenges out there with traditional analytics is that the human brain can only parse so many dimensions, so many nodes on a hierarchy, so much information at one given time. Whereas machines, especially at scale, when you talk about some of these neural networks, well, they can process mountains of data these days with lightning speed. So the cool thing about AI, from my perspective, is that it really can effectively augment traditional analytics programs and, and give you the machine view of the world, what the machines think you should look at, of course, in conjunction with what you and your team have decided is worthy of investigating. But what do you think about that? Yeah, uh, I think uh, uh, what you've really uh, brought together is, is a very interesting point. Uh, my point is, uh, see, uh, again, tools will come and tools will go, right? Uh, and as long as we really keep the uh, business problems in the center of it, um, uh, uh, then everything will, will, will kind of start, start making sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'll throw, I'll throw out, um, uh, we actually view artificial intelligence as a type of anal analytics, right? It, it is, in fact, analytics. You're inputting data with the goal of finding traits in that data, typically that will predict something. So it could, you know, in many cases, AI is being applied to problems that um, weren't uh, being tackled with traditional analytics, like facial recognition or uh, voice recognition, et cetera, where uh, traditional methods stumbled. Uh, they're beginning to be utilized for more classic uh, of problems, such as making those offers on the website, but one of the one of the key uh, difficulties right now with AI is the fact that it does not do a good job of allowing you to understand why it came to that conclusion. So many traditional methodologies, it'll say builds a big credit risk, and here's why. Here are the factors that went into that determination. AI, uh, uh, like deep learning it does not provide that transparency. So, in fact, there's, uh, it's illegal to use those type of algorithms in scenarios where they're regulated, like making a credit decision, 
um, because of that lack of transparency. Now, there's, of course, work and research being done to make AI more transparent, but it's one of those twisted things. That as it gets super smart, it's also harder to understand what it's doing. Yeah, well, because you, you're talking about some highly complex algorithms that are doing iterative processing on data. I mean, depending on the algorithm, there are lots of different ones out there. And to your point, you really can't unwind that stuff at this point. So it, in some cases, it's darn near impossible to figure out how it drew that conclusion, right? Right. Now we get into the ethics. So there are situations where you simply care that it appears to be right far more often than wrong. Like, uh, you know, who are the people that uh, just uh, got posted in this Facebook photo, right? It doesn't need to be perfect, and no one cares if it's wrong a little bit. But other cases, like if you're talking about medical treatments, you might want to be pretty sure about why it's getting, you know, it's getting that conclusion because you can go out and find examples online of um, of where a, a, a image recognition process can be fooled by a, a photo that's clearly not what it thinks it is, but that someone has engineered to have certain factors in it that that it knows the AI, that they know the AI algorithm is going for, and so that that's where that transparency becomes a problem. You want to know that it's saying you're at risk of illness for actually good medical reasons, not right. some fluke that's of right. a pattern that it happened to find. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, folks, we're talking all about the power of analytics today on DM Radio. Send me an email, info at dmradio.biz. We'll be right back in two minutes. Don't touch that dial. You are listening to DM Radio. Do you have a great idea for a radio show but have no idea where to start? Or have you been hosting a podcast for a while and want to take it to the next level? If so, you need the Gab Radio Network. To host a show on the Gab Radio Network, all you need is your voice, and we'll handle the rest. From technical engineering to full-service audio production and much more. Every show on the Gab Radio Network can be heard on our station on the TuneIn Radio app. Plus, we put all our shows on our satellite, which is accessed by 5,500 stations. And here's the best part. You can host from anywhere you want. There are many means to connect to the Gab Radio Network remotely, and our staff of highly trained engineers and producers will make you sound like you're right here in studio. So, if you want to be on the Gab Radio Network, the same network that hosts the Small Business Advocate, Radio MD, and Talking Pets, send an email right now to sales at gabradionetwork.com. That's sales at gabradionetwork.com. If you run a large corporation, small business, or anything in between, you need ads to help get the word out. A full page in the newspaper sounds good. A TV spot sounds even better. But let's face it, newspapers are essentially last-minute wrapping paper, and a TV spot is just expensive and basically code for bathroom break. Talk radio is different. Commercials cost practically nothing to produce, and the listeners are loyal. They like what they like, and they stay tuned in. When they hear about a new product or service during their favorite show, they can't wait to try it out for themselves so they can talk about it with their friends. And you know how radio listeners like to talk. If you want to add radio to your marketing portfolio, you need the Gab Radio Network. Gab Radio is the team of full-service experts you've been looking for, from writing to production, distribution, voiceover, and more. We make sure your spots are paired with the right shows in the right markets at the right time of day so the right people can hear. Since we're in over 100 markets across 34 states, Canada, and American Samoa, I'd say it's a pretty good place to start. If you want to know more, just email sales at gabradionetwork.com. That's sales at gabradionetwork.com. Welcome back to DM Radio. Here's your host, Eric Cavanaugh. 
folks. Welcome back once again to DM Radio. We're talking all about predicting the future. Can we use predictive analytics to come up with the lotto numbers? I don't think so. <laughs> if, if that were true, I think someone would have done it already. Not really good in that kind of a context, but it's good in lots of different contexts. We've been talking to our guests today about the different aspects of predictive and prescriptive analytics, and what to keep in mind. And in the break there, uh, Bill Franks from the International Institute of Analytics made a really good point that these days, because of the cloud and because of companies like Google, for example, companies can just rent predictive models. In the old days, five-plus years ago, if you wanted to do predictive analytics, you needed to go buy the software, which was extremely expensive up until recently, very, very expensive stuff. You had to have the hardware in your data center. You had to have the experts know how to set it up. You had to have the data. You got to load all that data into your warehouse and some other um, applications to be able to analyze the data. And goodness gracious, it was very, very difficult to do. But these days, you can just rent that stuff. So, Bill, I'll bring you in real quickly. That's a big deal because now small businesses and mid-sized businesses can all capitalize on what used to be only the domain of the very rich, right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that's an important point because in my career, you know, I've, I've gone around and, and primarily focused on, you know, the very biggest companies in the world. And, and to your point, they were the only ones able to do this stuff. Um, it, and, and it used to be a, a frustration for the small to mid-sized businesses. But today, yes, it's absolutely possible with the cloud. You can go out and, and just rent this stuff. And so let's say you have a small business and you wanted to find out, um, you know, and, and do an analysis of what people are saying about your business on social media. Literally, you would never have to do anything than a few clicks and, and rent a, a, a process that would take all your feeds and, and put them through the, the process and spit back out uh, your answers. And it would it would be cheap and fast. So I think that's the that's the big leveler now. And in fact, even big companies are beginning to rent things uh, on the cloud alongside what they're custom building. Uh, because of the fact that it, it, it you know, it's, it can be cheaper in an economy of scale. So for, you know, voice, for a chat bot for your web, uh, website or phone center, um, why would everyone build their own when it's fundamentally the same type of questions that everybody's getting? Just go rent the one uh, chat bot that's already optimized for a bank, let's say. There's really right. no competitive advantage to putting all of the money in to try and recreate that wheel. Um, you know, you can go rent it. And so it, it's a trend for both big and small businesses. Yeah, that's, that's a really, really good point, too. So, you know, the build versus buy, as we always used to say. And these days, well, <laughs> there's rent. You don't have to build or buy. You can just rent that sucker. And that's a really good point. And I'd like to bring uh, Patrice back into this, too. You know, predictive models, um, they basically look at a whole bunch of different factors, let's say, for, you know, predicting what someone else might buy, one of these recommendation engines, for example. There's some really neat things that can be done, and Amazon does this, where, let's say, if you buy this particular toy, they'll also say, hey, people who bought this also bought these batteries. And you're like, oh, yeah, I guess I do have to buy batteries because batteries not included. But you'll see that in, in more and more complex-type scenarios these days, and it's because Amazon is running the numbers. They're crunching the data, and they're building profiles of people. And that's really where things are going, is there are profiles of every consumer who touches the Internet being built today and managed by some of these very, very large companies. Facebook, of course, is, is deep into all that kind of stuff, but so are the big guys like IBM and SAP and Microsoft, et cetera. And the point is that um, those personas, those profiles, will be used by models to make predictions about what people will buy. But, uh, Patricia, I'll bring you back in to talk about this. The models aren't 
always good, and frankly, every model has its day, meaning their market forces will change, and what was a good model is now not so good of a model. And it's actually difficult to get these things into production, too, right? I think that's going to change. It's getting easier to put predictive models into production. But nonetheless, you, you have to monitor these things and see how they're doing. And you have challenger models that are running simultaneously. So to get very sophisticated, you want to be having challengers running all the time and have a fairly dynamic and seamless process for moving them into the primary zone, right? Yes. Uh, I think uh, you have actually touched on a, a very, very good, good point. So see, uh, a deeper understanding of the customer has never been as important as it is today. Because of social media, open information, there have been new, new business models, there's ever-increasing options. Uh, I think it makes it very much important to understand the pulse of the customer as well as to predict their behaviors, right? And uh, so the core objective of customer satisfaction, loyalty, and value, it remains the same, whether you are a small business owner or whether you are a large enter enterprise. Everybody is really trying to kind of see the, the, the customer journey um, on, on how the how do we really acquire more customers, how do we understand what the customers are doing, uh, both online and offline, in-store and out-of-store, and how do we really grow my customer base, either due to pricing and promotions, either due to personalization, and in fact, the new terms that have been emerging is hyper-personalized propositions. And, mm -hmm. uh, and that I would link to your persona, right? Uh, so, so when I was growing up, the world was divided into different demographies, right? Uh, then um, ethnography, sociography. Uh, you're really talking about tagging an individual into a segment or a group. Now, suddenly I think uh, the world has now changed and the tables have turned where when I as a customer kind of go in, and uh, especially the, the generation that has been uh, exposed to so many personalization, they didn't say, no, uh, people should not really treat me like a male, age so-and-so, coming from this and this background. People should treat me for who I am. That's Badrish Prakash. And that's the offering the hyper-personalized propositions is definitely made possible uh, with the advanced analytics tools there. Now, to your point, uh, models are an imperfect representation of reality. Uh, we should be very much cautious that... Uh, that well, models definitely do a better job than flipping a coin or being no model at all. But models okay. are, in, are in no way uh, completely accurate. In that way, we statisticians or data scientists are no different than crystal ball gazers. We are just better at it. So I think uh, 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 to your challenger model, model uh, problems, again, depending upon the type of the business that, that, that you are, uh, many financial institutions, specifically large banks, uh, the regulators, uh, Federal Reserve Bank, OCC, uh, or their state the regulators, they kind of mandate them to run certain challenger models for their very, very critical uh, models that make uh, very uh, critical business decisions, such as, let's say, loss for forecasting, uh, models that are used in the stress testing, models that will, uh, def uh, that will go ahead and then uh, uh, change the revenue for forecast that will in turn, uh, uh, change their balance sheet. So, uh, so this kind of test and control, uh, running challenger models, being very much open, and at least uh, gain an understanding and appreciation that every model comes with errors attached. 
and uh, just to be on the lookout for when is the right time that the shelf life of that model is over uh, is, is, is very, very important. Yeah, and there's this whole concept, too, Bill, I'll bring you back in, of overfitting the model, right? And this is kind of an interesting concept for people to wrap their heads around, but what you want to be careful of is not reinforcing your own bias in something, right? And so that takes some, some thoughtfulness and some care as you build these predictive models, and it just takes awareness, and it takes subject matter experts being involved, right, Bill? Yeah, and this gets back to where uh, you, you do have to be cautious, right? The, the upside of today's world is it's easy to get access to these algorithms, it's less expensive, and there's little interfaces that let you plug data in and get a prediction out. Problem is, uh, you still have to sort of know what you're doing. You know, it, it, I always liken it to, uh, you know, many different things. It's very easy to go out and make music today from a mechanical perspective with all the tools. doesn't mean you're going to make good music if you have no idea, you know, what you're doing. And it's the same thing here. So to your point, when you go out, uh, there, there's, there's certain processes that uh, people in the analytics and data science community know that they need to do. For example, this problem of overfitting. You've got to hold back some of your data and not use it to build your model so that you can validate the model actually still works because you can actually take and find a model that perfectly fits the data it was fed. So you'll have a 100% prediction rate. Problem is that model, what it really did was, was just faked faked it to exactly that data set, and it, it had a bunch of obscure factors that aren't real, and when you go to generalize that model and actually use it, it'll fall apart. So you have to do, there's, there's methods, methods to deal with this, but you do have to have some knowledge of what you do. Yeah, and, yeah, and organizations, think, oh, go ahead, Pratish, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so uh, I, I think the problem of this uh, over overfitting is definitely very much pervasive that we are seeing in the financial services, and uh, just to give you some context behind it. Uh, after the Great Recession, or the, or the house, uh, housing market debacle, and then the recession followed that, uh, the Federal Reserve Bank, for example, put the interest rates to a record low. In 2016, after that, almost every uh, announcement that the, that the Federal Reserve Bank is making is to increase the interest rate. Now, what really happens is, now let us say if you are using the, model, the, the data of uh, the past, to build out certain forecasting models for the for the revenue pricing, I think that uh, uh, that will not account for any changes in the interest rate, and then uh, hence your prediction will be will be wrong. I think, okay. and then you are going ahead and then fine tuning will definitely help that. Yeah, that's exactly right. And we have to. So this kind of gets back to the point that we'll just kind of wrap up on, which is you need your team to be really focused on what the business needs, what the models are, what the data is, always be on the lookout for that additional set of data to kind of help complete the picture. And to Bill's point, look into renting some of these things. You can rent the processing power. You could even talk to companies and work with them to rent some predictive models. You don't have to build the stuff yourself anymore. That way is, frankly, uh, with a few exceptions, going the way of the white elephant. But, folks, we've yeah. through another hour here. Big thanks to all of you out there for your time and attention. We'll talk to you next week. You have been listening to DM Radio. I'm so tired of the buffering on my smartphone. I'm so over it. Next. Right? I am so over it. Next. A radio? Next. No buffering, just your favorite local radio station? Next Radio uses the FM tuner that is already built into your phone, so you can listen to your favorite stations on the go. Because Next Radio uses the FM tuner already built into your smartphone, it saves on data and battery usage. 
When compared to streaming audio, Next Radio uses less than a tenth of your data, and your battery will last three times longer. Next Radio, it's FM radio on your smartphone. Introducing a radio inside your cell phone. Listen to all kinds of local radio stations, including KCAA 106.5 Ukaipa and 102.3 Riverside on Next Radio. Download the free Next Radio app today. 100% free, 100% fun, 0% buffering. Stop the buffer and listen to KCAA. KCAA Loma Linda, 1050 AM, K292 FQ Riverside. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.